Thanks for staying tuned in. This is Student Radio Maastricht on RTV 107.5 FM. My name is Sham doing the tech here today. And what you heard there was the track called Song 2 from the album Living Room Live Recordings by the artist John J.H.W. Weilacher. Massive shout out and massive thanks for uh, for sharing sharing these fantastic tunes with us today for our amazing episode by the bachelor's student or student studying bachelors in digital society. Before we proceed, um, quick shout out, uh, of course, to the graphic artist as well, f.ish333, very much for, for preparing and doing the Insta post. And uh, yeah, by the way, all these all this music you're, you're hearing are recorded and made in Maastricht by JHW slash UAOHM Studios. And uh, I think it's time to uh, hand over the mic to Tara, our lovely host today. Thank you so much, Tara, from Bachelor Digital Society. Of yeah. course. Yeah, thank you for having us. Um, in the first hour of our episode, uh, we talked about self-tracking in relation to the individual, the personal experiences of self-tracking, how it impacts our sense of self, and uh, so on. Uh, and in the second hour, we will start with talking a bit more about data, privacy and security, and then transition to talking about companies, how they market um, their products and services, and then f- um, wrap up with some reflections on the future of self-tracking, where are we headed, and so on. Uh, and before doing that, uh, we have a bit of a different setup now because there's five of us in the studio. In the first hour, we had Pascal and Yete, uh, and now we have uh, Justine and Clara and myself. Uh, and I would ask you to maybe introduce yourself briefly and what you researched for the last few months. So Justine, what about you? Hi, good evening. Yeah, my name is Justine. And uh, together with Clara, we decided to kind of tackle the the idea of positioning a user and the company. We decided to split this topic into um, well, two main sections, really. Uh, personally, I focused on the, the self-tracking, how the act of self-tracking positions the user. Um, so all of us using self-tracking either as a once-in-a-while activity or on a, in a day, on a daily basis. And Clara? Hello everyone, my name is Clara. Um, as Justy mentioned, I talked about the other side of our double project, which was the positioning um, of self-tracking by the companies. And um, this aspect really focuses on the marketing aspects, the narratives. They are trying to convey um, yeah, how the body is um, really portrayed as a part of that Yeah, we as users want to take control over. Um, and this also relates to the design choices, for example, and the marketing of the self-tracking devices. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for giving us that introduction. Uh, and maybe to add uh, a bit more on what I'm doing uh, and what I've been researching through the project. Uh, so I decided to focus on the concept of care and what care means in relation to health and in relation to health data. Uh, and something that I kind of noticed like a starting observation was that if we want to care about health through self-tracking, we kind of have to accept some data privacy and security risks that are associated with it. Uh, and there are interesting collisions that and clashes that happen between those two cares for data and for health. Uh, and that's something that we will also explore in this section. Uh, so I would like to start by asking you a question related to that, which would be, how do you feel about your data? Do you care about your data, your health data, and also in general? Uh, maybe Justine, uh, what do you think? Yeah, personally, I mean, data, of course. Mm-hmm. Data surrounds you. It's your personal data. It's um, information about you that is, you know, collected by by everything we use nowadays. Um, I care about it a lot. I would say... 
just on the top of my head, you know, what first comes to mind is financial data, everything related to cards you use, credit cards, just um, even even membership cards and stuff that directly shows a company or someone collecting this data uh, more information about you. It could be any types of patterns, really. Uh, but yeah, we did really focus on health uh, data. And unless you're really active and you know about it, it can be quite tricky to actually realize the amount of data that exists with us. But um, as we will discuss later, just by having a phone on you, you you have a self-tracking device calculating, well, you know, anything from steps to calories uh, to floors climbed and intakes of different things. So um, even subconsciously, in a way, your data surrounds you and is collected and stored even on something like your phone. What about you, Clara? Yeah, I agree with you. I think in the everyday life, it's sometimes um, you really lose track of all the data you kind of just give um, through your phone or, yeah, like you mentioned, so many different cards you have and things you do in everyday life, cameras outside. There's so much data around yourself. Um, and I think um, even though, I mean, we study digital society, so we should really be aware of our data in everyday life. I sometimes really uh, focus on the advantages of using the technologies um, because, I mean, there really are lots of advantages um, and that sometimes maybe even outweighs um, having, yeah, maybe less security, um, but then having the advantages of having um, yeah, access to data or recommendations by technologies. Um, so I think even though I really want to care, especially about my personal data, for example, um, yeah, like my address, uh, phone numbers, yeah, financial data, of course, as well, but also I think health data is really personal. Um, it is really hard on the everyday basis to really think about it. Mm-hmm. All right. Hey, thank you so much. It's really fascinating insights. And uh, thank you very much indeed for sharing the, the academic research you did as well into into this self-tracking devices. To our audience, just to re- remind you, this, this you're listening to a two-hour special, or approximately two-hour special of uh, The Quantified Self by the students of Bachelor of Digital Society. In the meantime, don't go anywhere. We have an amazing tune coming up. This one is This track is called Song 4 by... John J.H.W. Weilacker. Enjoy.
Welcome back. This is Student Radio Maastricht on RTV 107.5 FM. My name is Sham doing the tech today. And in the studio, we are really glad and very delighted to have five students from the Bachelor of Digital Society. Uh, Tara, could you please um, introduce yourself and yeah, the, the show, what we're we talking about? Where are we yeah. so far? Uh, so our broad topic uh, is the quantified self and self-tracking uh, and in this section we are focusing on data, data privacy and security issues relating to the practice of self-tracking uh, and we already kind of already uh, talked about care, do we care about our data personally um, and I think this is something that is really important because uh, self-tracking is a very data-driven process so there's a lot of data involved and we even see it with companies such as Meta and some big companies which are now being sued in billions of dollars and euros um, for mishandling data so it's a very topical issue it's very relevant right now uh, and personally I agree with Justine and Clara I think as digital society students we might be a bit more aware of uh, data and the risks associated with it uh, than maybe the general person is. Um, and I think this is something that also came back in our focus group results. Uh, so maybe Justine, would you like to get us started on like what our group had to say about uh, data? Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, um, security and something like you mentioned in our study, it's, it's very relevant. Um, data nowadays and, and self-tracking, it becomes inevitable even the, the person who wants nothing to do with it is really, really going to struggle to, you know, not leave a single trace behind. Um, in our focus group, um, people were aware of the risks. I mean, they they were familiar with it. But what you choose to do um, to protect yourself from it and to really not um, f fall in the trap, let's say, um, was uh, not as known. And I think... Um, although we are aware of it, they they decide what they want to share and not. And for them, the the pros are really what you get from it is worth, in a sense, selling your data and and putting your tracks out there, um, because the what you get from it is worth it. Um, I think our participants came from diverse backgrounds when it comes to self-tracking they all had different types of experiences but um most of them were not too um let's say worried about leaving a single trace behind yeah i agree i mean i think for them it was mainly that um they knew and i think many today they know that there are security issues and um, issues about data security um but for example i remember one participant and she was tracking her, her period cycle with an app and she was telling us that um, she, of course, she knew and uh, she also mentioned that there was a big scandal about the app that she was using, but uh, the app worked so perfectly fine for her and she's really dependent on the information the app is giving her about her menstrual cycle in a way that she was, yeah, kind of give, giving her data and privacy um, to have the information that the app um, is giving her. So really in that case, like you said, Justine, the pros outweighed. Um, and yeah, they. she mentioned a fear and I think most of the participants, they mentioned the fear and um, yeah, that the data could be sold to some other third parties. Um, but they all kind of just remained in this hope of, yeah, we hope that it's going to be fine. Uh, we hope our data is safe. 
um, just with this trust, but they yeah were okay with not having the security of knowing exactly where the data is going. I think that was really interesting. Yeah, uh, I agree, uh, Clara. I think the element of hope is something that kept coming back of I know that there is a risk, but I kind of hope for the best. I hope that the guys on the other side behind the big companies are good and that they're on my side, um, which is something that's interesting because there's kind of this um, mismatch between our knowing of the data risks and then our actions of securing our privacy. Uh, because how many of us actually read the privacy statements of every site? How many cookies do we accept? Uh, so there's kind of this, uh, as I said, mismatch uh, on those two sides. Um, and I think something that was also interesting was um, the element of who are we sharing the data with. Uh, like we said, there are the third parties, but there are also the governments that might be involved. Uh, did you maybe have any interesting insights on that, Justine, or some examples? Yeah, no, for sure. From our focus group, it was um, really interesting uh, going back to um, these trackers about um, our location and uh, geolocation, where we were located, um, and also related to, you know, different governments. It's uh, a friend of ours um, mentioned that um, when out traveling, she uh, made the decision to share her location with uh, the government of a country because they offered, you know, the security of them knowing where she is in different uh, scenarios if she would ever need um, help. Um, they would know where to find her. Um, however, many of them mentioned that although sharing with one government, gov uh, government may be more um, relevant and they might be more willing to do it with one, another one might be completely out of the question. Um, but then in the end, you, you ask the question, does it really matter? Aren't they all the same? Do they not all do the same thing with your data, collecting it and potentially sharing it further? For them, it was um, more of an idea of, well, what are our prejudices surrounding these governments? And um, I, from the top of my head, I know the, the American government came up and it was really a, um, ah, there's no, uh, completely out of the question, sharing data with um, with apps that are essentially American-based. So in the end, the data goes there. But then when they considered it, oh, you know, Dutch government, that might be more on our side. But in the end, does that really make a question or change anything? No, I agree. I think it is really often a subjective view that you think, um, yeah, you can trust maybe your own government more. And um, I mean, I think, of course, in Europe, we have other security standards than... Um, on other places in the world, but I think it is really um, a global question, and it's not really that our data here in Europe is um, specifically more safer or really totally safe compared to other places also because on the internet, I mean, there are not really any borders anyways, so everything is connected, and that's also what we love about it, right? Um, so, uh, yeah, I think in general it's really visible also with the example that you mentioned. It is always that conflict uh, with the security concerned, with privacy, and we want to keep things to ourselves, and then also on the other side, um, with the internet in general, the will to share things and um, really like looking at the opportunities it has for us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's uh, a very good point that we're bringing up also with the uh, kind of boundless nature of internet and data. Uh, for example, I think the um, the meta lawsuit that I mentioned, it's about the data transfer across the from the EU to America. So even though the data might be collected in one country or on one continent, mm -hmm. 
it's still being stored, processed, shared in all these different kinds of ways. So uh, we're never really f fully uh, aware of what's going on behind the scenes. Um, and I think something also uh, interesting that we talked about before is that um, when caring about data and what's going on with the data, there are many different kinds of data to be considered. So it's not just the health data, but also the data about locations, also financial data. Um, and maybe Justine, what do you think uh, out of those different kinds of data? Um, which one would you say is maybe the most sensitive or which one do people care about the most? And then um, maybe we can connect it to literature and what we know about that. Hmm. Yeah, no, I think it really, it's a really um, individual question. I think it depends from person to person. Um, in the focus group, the idea of, you know, elderly people potentially needing uh, health attention would be more willing in a sense to give up, give up in quotation marks, their um, data to these unknown third parties, if it meant that they could receive the health care and um, support that they needed. Um, whereas, um, you also have the idea of yeah, the healthy person who is not um, in need or even looking at it would then uh, say that it's completely out of the question and would uh, do anything in its power to kind of uh, stop that from happening. Um, but we also know that um, data is, in a sense, um, very, very valuable. Um, health data, for example, um, you might not know it, but health data is actually more valuable on the on the market than financial data so your if you put it this way your credit card details um are not as val valuable as health data that is being collected and uh sold on the market um i believe not many listeners and in our focus group it was the same they were very shocked when they found out that it's um yeah what we consider such regular easy information like our steps or our heart rate we, we might really not really consider it as being important or making a difference but it does it really does especially when it adds up and when so many people are concerned yeah this also came up in our literature that um for cyber criminals they make actually tenfold the profit from hacking individuals medical information um than from accessing their credit card details so that really shows that um this health data that we just tend to give around more freely or that we don't even care about that much because we feel that of course the credit card details if somebody has access to them this is also really dangerous but um from the yeah bio value this is what it's called so value produced from bodily data or also from biological objects um is actually really really um yeah valuable for kernels um because you have really sensitive and personal data stored and you can use it for several purposes for example um, you can use it to yeah, create fake identities to receive a prescription for drugs, um, for phishing or social engineering attacks, to um, leverage medical details. So there are really many, many different ways um, to use this biovalue or the biomedical data from um, individuals. And what's also really important is that it has a really longer lifespan um, than your credit card details because if you yeah, find out that somebody was hacking your credit card details, you can just change them right away. But with the biomedical data, they just say you just have them. So once they are exposed, um, the danger is really, really high. Um, and yeah, this is something that I think many are not aware of. Mm -hmm. And I think, uh, like you said, Clara, 
uh, Clara and I think Justine also touched upon this, that uh, this high monetary value of our health data is something that's very attractive to cyber criminals and to various kinds of maybe malicious actors. Uh, but this is also something that companies are recognizing. Uh, and it, it's really reflected in the market value of health self-monitoring technologies and services. Uh, and this is actually something that we will cover in the ne next section on the companies, how they mar market their products and also the design choices that they're making uh, to sell them. talking about uh, companies, ma their marketing of their products and services and the design choices that they're making and how they're impacting the users. Uh, I think maybe to transition from the last section, uh, an interesting um, point uh, to bring up is that the global market for health uh, self-monitoring uh, in 2021, it was 45 billion euros. And by 2026, it's expected to be 170 billion euros. So this is something that's very attractive to companies and they're really making use of this opportunity. Uh, and to do so, they of course have to make use of marketing. Um, and this is something that we will cover in this section. Yes, Tara, thank you. Like you mentioned, um, we can see a huge overflow from the medical or technical sector to yeah, many different um, areas of society. For example, there are commercial or research or managerial purposes of the data. Um, many different ways to use it for the companies to um, use them for their own research, but also uh, selling them to other parties. Um, yeah, so I think the companies' marketing strategies play a huge role. Um, they try to present um, specific narratives. For example, looking at the Apple Watch, um, I think we all know that it's more than a watch. It has many more things that it can do for us. It can help make our lives way easier in so many different ways. Um, and scholars really describe it as an add-on and you don't, the users don't really need to have any behavioral adaptations. They can really just take the device, um, put it on their arm and just continue with their everyday activities and g gain more value from that for themselves um, by having access to the data and receiving information back from um, yeah, the watch. Also looking um, at another um, device, they had an advertisement quote saying, know yourself, live better. Um, so it is really, you get to know yourself better by using these devices. You take more control over your life, which actually relates back to Foucault and his concept of discipline. So it is really a thing that is going on, um, not only since the development of these self-tracking devices like the Apple Watch, but for a long time that we have the urge to control our body in that sense, um, to become the best version of ourselves. But Tara, what do you think? What does it do to users? I think that's a very good question because something that we see with companies in general and specifically with self-tracking companies, uh, it's the fact that 
they kind of promote certain lifestyles, right? They are trying to sell you a certain lifestyle. So it's not just a watch. It's something that will improve your life. It will help you improve yourself. So I think that with these technologies, we're kind of invited to reconsider even ourselves, who we are, who we want to be, and how this device is the one thing we need to help us kind of get there. Um, so I think that that's maybe one of the narratives. And then it also plays on beauty standards and uh, what's maybe attractive at the moment, what you should aspire to. So it kind of promotes certain ideal idealized uh, images of people. Yeah, no, for sure. It's really uh, overflowing into all aspects of life. And I think using these watches and these companies, they um, really portray the fact that you need it to capture every, every single aspect of your life when you think that humans have been alive for so long and done very, very well without it. And now suddenly, you know, you need to track the oxygen level in your blood every day, all the time. Uh, will it make any difference to you? Most likely not, but you are still, um, like Tara mentioned, you know, invited to have this watch on you for this data to be collected that um, for the majority of the part, like the user never even sees and doesn't really... Um, touch upon um, I think uh, we'll get there later but you know the design of these apps is, is really um, made to be as user-friendly as possible the including of, of graphs of circles that need to be closed of uh, colors and of uh, funny patterns just to get that user that comes from no experience at all all the way to expert level to be interested and want to know more uh, and want to collect these data's from a, such a wide variety of uh, backgrounds. Yeah, <clears throat> it really is. Um, and I think this also really evolved. I mean, we started uh, self-tracking, yeah, like I mentioned way earlier, for example, through diaries. And I think nowadays is a development that the focus is way more on our body. And um, yeah, it also gives some societal implications that are really um, important for to defining the individual's worth, I would say. Um, because of course, fitness and um, yeah, beauty standards are a really big um, aspect of our daily lives, and I think of society in general. There are really beauty standards, especially with social media, um, that are we had tried to aimed at and tried to be achieved by many of us. Um, and these devices really aim at helping us to get there. For example, another um, advertisement quote by Fitbit was, get the skinny on all things. So it really assumes that being fit and thin is a good thing um, and reflects on this societal narrative that is um, really present, I would say. Um, and it could even as far that um, some researchers mentioned that, um, yeah, there is this societal narrative that if you if you yeah involve in self-checking um, or if you are healthy, if you're fit, um, this implies that you're a productive and effective citizen, that you really try to um, take care of your own health, because this is also a really important aspect that you try to um, yeah, take away the responsibility of society and put it on the individual so that everybody takes care of their own health. Um, and also, on the other hand, if they are ill, so you notice that you're ill and take care of it. Um, so this really relates to that whole, you have to take care of your body, you have to tame it in a sense. Uh, take control over it um, with these beauty standards um, and I think the apps really um, of course not this is not what they imply on the first sight but when you really look down at it it really tries to um, perfectionize us all of us mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and I think that this is something uh, that we also see in the choices that they're making in relation to labels that they are assigning to certain goals that we're meeting. Uh, for example, if the app refers to you as a champion for reaching a certain goal, you might internalize this label. And this is something that we also saw in our focus group data, uh, that it, it does make you feel good about yourself. Uh, and it's something that uh, can be a bit negative in certain cases if the thing that you're self-tracking for example is shopping expenses and if it calls you a champion for spending more money is that really good of course for the app it is good but then for your budget it might not be as good uh, so it's something that requires a lot of reflection on the part of the user i would say yeah no for sure i mean the focus group uh was really a split actually in a sense like there were some that um live up to these um or see these um mottos as you know okay it's something i want to reach for it's something i want to aim to be but on the other hand like there doesn't always mean like, the definition is skewed i would say additionally from our own uh research the possibilities that these um self-trackers um, allow us really bring in the, um, the beauty standards and they're able to to strive for so much and who, who makes these ideas and in a sense you know our all body bodies work differently and what might work for one what might be the goal for one type of body might be completely different for the others and going back to beauty standards they're um you know, narratives that are being chosen by who are they chosen and who controls them, who's behind them and who makes these choices of like, okay, this is the perfect self that one should be striving for. Yeah, Justine, I agree with you. I think this is really something individual that everybody should decide for themselves. And um, <coughs> I mean, I think it is also something that partially we can um, influence in the apps that we can, for example, set our goals um, that we can choose for instance, how many steps we want to do a day or how many calories we want to eat and all these things. So the app is only telling us in that sense what we said before, what we want to reach. Um, and coming back to the focus group and just in the point you mentioned, I think it was really interesting that um, one participant mentioned that these um, labels, for example, um, saying he was a champion, that he was able to fulfill a specific task was really motivating him. And on the other hand, there was one uh, saying that it doesn't really matter at all, that um, it really had the opposite effect than having this motivation, but whether giving him yeah, an awareness of, yeah, kind of this like an addiction or like really that um, different difficult relationship he has to the app and that he doesn't want to be controlled by the things the app is telling him. Um, and I think is this is a conflict that is really difficult to face. So what is yeah, the, just the real life, the reality and what is really what the app is trying to tell you. And I think um, what users should really try to do is find a balance and really try to find out um, yeah, what was actually said in the first half of this podcast, um, what is part of your intuition and what is part of, or to what extent can you rely on the app? Um, and I think this is also really relating to the design choices. Um, so the tracking devices really want to convey uh, specific things. Tara, maybe you want to go into depth on that. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, I really agree with that, Clara. And I think uh, something that the design choices are kind of promoting is the increased use of the app, of course, uh, because at the end of the day, companies are in it for the money. Um, while we might be caring about our health, they care about the profit. And this is something that really is reflected in the design as well. Um, but also on the user end of things, uh, the gamification of the design is something that I think really kept coming back through our personal experiences, but also in the focus group data. Uh, having a little circle to complete, like Justine said, is something that's really motivating and something that helps us complete the goals uh, and it's a really subtle way of maybe nudging us towards certain things yeah i think justine for you i think um you also mentioned in your self-diary a really um, interesting point um, about a high risk and high reward you came up with a little system on your own yeah no for sure i mean i uh, imagined it as a high risk high reward type system where um you have two types of users. So users, when it comes to you know spending time on the app and uh, reaching your daily goals, the um, high risk, high reward. So in a sense, setting a um, high goal with the intention of reaching it um, versus reaching uh, a lower goal where you are almost always sure you will reach it. And therefore, in a sense, not really getting that reward, but at least not... Um, setting yourself up to be disappointed because like we mentioned these circles and graphs and tables they work very well when they are completed but they can also uh, you know set up the image of a failure or not having reached the goal you set to yourself so having the um, imagining a, a high risk high reward system where you know you want to aim high but still attainable uh, is an interesting way to put it yeah i think with this you really um say that it is individual and users can influence um to what extent they want to fulfill the goal and have an influence on yeah how much they want to be dependent um and yeah have a say um yeah but i think this was really interesting uh, it was a good insight um i think we really learned that it is important what the companies are trying to convey and that they have a say so it is not really something just a device that we use it's not really neutral but there are many intentions from different parties that play a role um, so I think that was a really interesting uh, aspect that we will keep in mind also in our next session which will touch upon the future of self-tracking and how it will evolve
we are back with the self-tracking. We talked a bit about personal experiences, about data, about companies. Uh, but now let's look forward. What's the future of self-tracking? Yeah, so we have already mentioned that, you know, self-tracking in different forms has, has existed for such a long time. But um, I guess what our generation really has seen is an explosion of things to self-track, possibilities on how to do it as well. Um, so it's very interesting to to consider what the future might hold, you know, not only in five, ten years, but in 50 years and potentially even um, a century away. Clara, do you have anything that you, uh, when you think of the future of self-tracking, what would you, what do you think about? Um, honestly, what first comes to mind is more the negative side of it. So I think there are many things that um, are not really going well right now, so that I hope to improve in the future. Um, and to not happen, which is so I have like a little bit of a dystopian view on it, I think, um, because I feel like there could uh, be discrimination based on the health data, um, as I think it will play a bigger role in the future and it will be even more um, implicated in our everyday life and there will be more usages for it. And um, I think, yeah, this could lead to discrimination uh, maybe from people who are tracking and those who are not tracking, so that there may be our difficulties um, yeah, within, for example, the doctor-patient relationship or um, yeah also another d important point is with insurance companies this is actually already happening right now in the USA um, that there are maybe disadvantages um, if, you, if your um, health data indicates that you are, have some illnesses of any kind that um, users need to pay more money um, this might also relate to the employment eligibility or credit eligibility so I think there are many dangers that need to be kept in mind and um, that I hope that are improvements for that in the future. Um, and also, um, I think the digital divide um, is a big danger concerning that as well, um, because, yeah, like I mentioned, um, the gap between those who are um, able to use technologies and those who don't um, is growing. Um, so I think this will become more and more of a danger. What do you think, Tara? Any positive notes on that, maybe? <laughs> uh, yeah, I agree. Digital divide is definitely one big issue that we're seeing in general with digital technologies. And I think with uh, self-tracking, especially for health purposes, it can be quite dangerous uh, because we don't really know um, how it could really affect all the different groups and minorities and so on. Um, maybe on a brighter note, uh, I think something that we usually look forward to in our program, Digital Society, is all the technological advancements and how they could be used for something good. Uh, I think uh, AI, something that uh, is kind of a topical issue, uh, is something that will be very relevant for self-tracking, maybe in using it to predict behaviors, to predict trends and locate patterns. So I think that's something that we can see uh, happening in the future. Also, the rise of the Internet of Things, it's, some, it's something that will be relevant as well as more and more devices get connected and the communication between them gets uh, increased. We will be able to self-track more and more. And the domain of self-tracking, I think, is only expanding and we already see it. It's not just health, it's also um, finances and insurance and so many different things that we are self-tracking. So I think that trend will continue in the future as well. Mm, yeah, it is really interesting. Also, in our focus group, when we did mention the future, you know, we all um, uh, we all come up from a very wide background, but uh, studying digital society has really made us understand both the negatives, but also the positives that uh, do come out of cell tracking. I mean, it has brought so many advancements, not only, like we mentioned earlier, the possibility to uh, track diseases, keep 
um, elderly people um, more connected so that they are aware what is going well and where they might be able to, um, you know, make adjustments in their life. But of course, the sharing of data and the um, also with regards to privacy policies, I mean, we uh, covered that not everyone is uh, reading the terms and conditions, me being guilty of that. Um, they are so long in the terms, uh, words that they use might seem very overwhelming. Um, so one could say that an uh, improvement for the future might be to make this more accessible, more understandable, um, so that everyone is really aware of what they are agreeing to when using these apps, especially considering um, the fact that these are really becoming inevitable. They are being incorporated into every aspect of society. So um, deciding or choosing to not be as well connected may not only become more and more difficult, but might also have issues to what you are able to do in society. And I mean, during the focus group, it was mentioned that um, a participant said, you know, I've already um, opened a credit card, uh, the, the potential w with the future mind of potentially buying a house and needing a good credit card score in order to secure a loan from the bank, for example. So that means that already now leaving traces is um, necessary for this participant to, in the future, even if it's in 10, 15 years, to already make uh, these types of decisions. Uh, a fun fact you might not know is that 52% of the fitness apps um, examined did not make any privacy policies available to all users. Uh, this is a very high number considering it's uh, so abundant in nowadays. So another improvement might be to really, you know, not only make them available, but share them to the people. Yeah, I agree. I think this is also something that our participants um, really focused on, that they um, really wanted to stay positive and hope for more security, more transparency from the company side. Um, simplification, like you said, from the terms and conditions, um, which I think does not only relate to self-tracking, but to yeah, apps overall and the Internet, um, that it would should really be yeah an open space. We should um, focus on inclusivity and the safety of our data. Um, but also for ourselves, for our um, mental health, I would say it's really important that um, we develop a healthy understanding of what these self-trackers can try to do for us and how we can use them in a productive and efficient way. Um, so they yeah, are actually maybe uh, good for us and not really disturbing. Um, so yeah, I think there are many things that uh, we need to be considering in the future. Um, and let's hope for the best <laughs> that everything will become better. Uh, thank you, Clara. I think that's a very nice note to end on. Looking forward to um, hopefully all the good things that technology has to offer. Uh, maybe to wrap up what we talked about so far, um, in the first and second hour, we discussed our project, the Quantified Self, as part of uh, Marble, the Mastery 3 page learning research-based learning product uh, and uh, here we talked about self-tracking mainly uh, everything that data entails for our understanding of ourselves but also how data is maybe shared with others and how we now internalize certain labels and all the different security and privacy risks that are associated with it i think before we finish something that it that is important to note is that it 
what we covered in today's episode isn't everything there is about self-tracking. Uh, there are many different domains that we didn't explore within the few months that we've been researching the topic. So, for example, the uh, relationship between doctors and patients is something that's very important, uh, as well as how data is being shared amongst users and communities uh, within the quantified self. Uh, so there are different avenues that are s still to be explored, uh, but we hope that you learned something and gather yeah, some insights uh, from our project and that we shed some light on the world of self-tracking. Absolutely. Thank you so much, uh, students from Bachelor of Digital Society from the Faculty of Arts and Social Sciences for sharing this very relevant and very social and very uh, prevalent topic. And uh, indeed, like I said, it's a good good note to end on. Uh, before we go, massive thanks to RTV, RTV Maastricht, for letting us use their studios for recording and broadcasting this episode. Massive shout out to JHW, John JHW Weilacher, uh, for sharing his his fantastic tunes made in maastricht uh, do check it out do, do check out his bandcamp page we will leave you with this last track uh, from the jhsw this one is called song five from the album live living room live recordings enjoy and thanks for tuning in bye 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 thank you thanks a lot thank bye. you bye